Welcome back to the Durst Show. Uh, I've missed you. Welcome back to me to the Durst Show because for the past um, uh, few weeks, it's been sporadic uh, due to the Jewish high holidays and also a, a medical problem in my family. But uh, we're back and we're ready to roll and hopefully we'll have a consistency from now on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, 5 to 5.30 live. Uh, and then you can get it, obviously, later, uh, anytime during the day or night. So uh, please come back and join uh, The Der Show. I promise you uh, provocative uh, insights, objective analysis, uh, nonpartisan uh, conceptions, and uh, hopefully a little bit of humor and fun. Oh, let's start out with good old New York University, NYU, a great school. The former president of NYU, John Sexton, was my research assistant student. I love him. He's fantastic. Uh, The current president, really good guy as well. He's uh, leaving uh, shortly and will be replaced. But what were they thinking when they failed to renew the contract of perhaps their most distinguished teacher, of organic chemistry. Uh, Dr. Maitland Jones wrote the book. He wrote the textbook, I think five editions. It's used apparently all over the the country. And he's regarded as one of the giants in the field. But his great flaw was he had high standards. He demanded the students work hard. Uh, Maybe stay up late at night. Uh, Work hard. Uh, Learn everything. And and, and, and do well on the tests. And if you don't do well on the tests, you don't get a trophy. College is not like second grade where you can lose the game 31 to nothing. Uh, you get a trophy because you showed up. Some of these students didn't even show up. And now they're complaining. A minority of them, a minority of them complained. Um, and the school went to the lowest common denominator and said, sorry, if you can't teach the C and D students who aren't working hard, some of them probably are working hard, just don't have the capacity, um, then we're not going to let you teach the best students. We're not going to let you uh, impose your very high standards on the most qualified students. And and these other students, they complain. They said, we want to go to medical school. We want to be surgeons. We want to make life and death decisions, but we don't want to really do all that well in organic chemistry, even though that's essential to understanding how the body works. Well, let me ask you a simple question. Um, I've had a medical, medically challenging year this year. I've had uh, a bunch of uh, surgical procedures. Um, Do any of you want your children, your parents, your spouses, your loved ones, to have a doctor that didn't come up to the highest standards. Um, About a year and a, uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, my whole family and I were on a plane from Martha's Vineyard. Remember Martha's Vineyard, the place where uh, descent sent the the immigrants and, um, you know, we, we try to treat them very well. But in any event, I was flying from a plane with my whole family, and it was the worst storm. It was September 1st. Check it out on your weather map. Really horrible, and the plane was just bouncing around. And I'm sitting there praying that this is not an affirmative action pilot. This is not a pilot who was allowed to fly, me and my family, 
based on lower standards because of identity politics. Now, let's be clear. University have lowered their standards for years, and I'm not talking about race now. If you are an athlete, you don't have to have the same qualifications as if you're not an athlete. Um, if your father and grandfather and great-grandfather went to Harvard, uh, your chances of getting in with lower grades are a lot higher than if you're the child of an immigrant who didn't go to college, um, as my parents, uh, my mother went to college for one month and then the depression made her take a job for $13 a week. But, um, um, you know, uh, the, the, there, are, there are many, many ways in which standards have been reduced. It's not only race-specific affirmative action, which is why I've always advocated a complete meritocracy, which means the abolition of lower standards for athletes and the abolition of lower standards for, for, for legacies. You can't abolish affirmative action unless you also abolish negative reaction. What is negative reaction? It means giving privileges and benefits and academic benefits and admission benefits to the most privileged people, to the people whose grandparents went to to, uh, to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and that's clearly the way admissions work today. They also give geographic distribution. You know what geographic distribution is? It was invented by President Lowell of Harvard, who was a, a, a equal opportunity bigot. He hated Catholics, he hated Jews, he hated gays, he didn't like women. Um, and uh, he thought too many Jews were getting into Harvard, so he created geographic distribution, which says, no, 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 we're not taking people from New York and, and Chicago and, and Cleveland and Philadelphia, we're taking people from Iowa and Idaho and uh, New Mexico. Uh, we want a diverse class geographically, which meant a reduction substantially in the number of, of Jews admitted, because in those days, Jews lived in the big in the big cities. There's a famous story about, about that. Uh, when race-specific affirmative action was first introduced at Harvard, there was a faculty meeting. I was at it. I wish I had made the, the statement, which I'm going to quote. Uh, I've quoted it many times, but I didn't make it. Um, and so Dean Chase Peterson, I think his name was the dean of admissions, a really nice guy. Um, one of the faculty members said, you know, we don't have any objection to admitting more African-American students, but you seem to be taking the quota of African-American students, which went up from like 3% to 15%, 13% in that range, uh, there's been a concomitant reduction in the number of Jewish students admitted. So it seems to me you're taking the quota for blacks from a quota for Jews. That, that just doesn't seem to be fair. And Dean Peterson stood up straight and said, no, 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 we're not doing that uh, as a result of them being Jewish. You don't understand. We have geographic distribution. <clears throat> which means that the major cities like New York and, and Cleveland and Chicago, <clears throat> the areas around those cities uh, suffer um, because we want more students from Idaho and fewer students from the major cities. So we take fewer and fewer students from, uh, let's call it the donuts around New York and Cleveland and Chicago. And one professor stood up and said, Dean, they're not donuts, they're bagels. And obviously, everybody laughed. The dean was very upset. Obviously, when you start reducing the number of students from uh, big cities, you're going to reduce the number of Jewish kids, Italian kids, Irish kids, 
uh, not the number of black kids, because you would, if you just went by geographic distribution, you'd probably re reduce the number of black kids too, but there was a quota. They didn't call it a quota. They called it a target, but it was a quota. If you went below 13%, there would be a objection. So it was a quota. In any event, um, so we've seen a process. We've seen a process over the years. It started well before race-specific affirmative action, where there are two different standards for admission. Uh, applicants like me, you know, Jewish kid from New York, first person going to college in, in my family, we got no breaks. Uh, we were not privileged, um, if anything, somewhat disadvantaged. But the people who got the privileges were the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Brahmins whose parents and grandparents uh, went to Harvard. That was never fair. And it should be abolished. It should have been abolished before it was started. And the other group are, are, are the athletes. Um, you know, sure, having a good college football team is fun, but it's not what college is about. Uh, and I don't think you should be lowering the standards. You should have high academic standards. And then whoever has the best ball players with high academic standards uh, wins instead of being able to recruit students um, to college and, and then um, have them take gut courses. I remember when I was in college, there was a special course uh, for athletes with lower standards. It was a very easy geology course. It was called Rocks for Jocks. So the class was full of these jocks who couldn't really come up to the standards of other courses. And also the teacher was known to be an easy grader. So it was a gut course. You know, a few people who were not jocks took the course because they wanted an easy pass as well. But, uh, you know, if you were trying to get into medical school when you were taking all gut courses, uh, the medical school admissions committee would look at that and say, no, that's not the kind of uh, doctor uh, we want to administer to our patients in life and death in life and death situations. And so, you know, what's the answer? Uh, once you admit students on lower standards, it's unfair to demand that they perform at the highest level. It's really essentially a breach of a social contract. If you're taken in on expressly lower standards, the school inevitably has to lower its standards to uh, achieve a common denominator, which is why I'm completely in favor of a meritocracy. Now, meritocracy is dying. Look at what happened in some of the New York elite high schools, Stuyvesant, Bronx High School of Science, uh, Brooklyn Tech. Uh, great complaints about the fact that it's a meritocracy and therefore a lot of Asian students are going there. And, you know, there's a lawsuit now going on in the Supreme Court. Um, I was asked to be a witness in the lawsuit. I decided not to because I have too much of a personal uh, relationship with Harvard. I taught there for 50 years. I know a lot of the people there who were involved. But the lawsuit's an interesting one. It basically said the same thing as the bagel story. It said, look, that's fine. Admit more African-Americans. If you have to lower standards uh, a bit to admit more African-Americans and get diversity, put it differently, change the standards, make them in some respects less academic, less test scores, less grades. If you have to do that, fine. But don't take that out of the Asian quota. Uh, right now, if you're an Asian-American, it's much harder. And they had statistical evidence to prove that to get into Harvard than it would be if you were an African-American or a white American. Um, and so there's that lawsuit. Um, there are two lawsuits, one involving Harvard, a private, mostly private university, 
actually Harvard is older than the state of Massachusetts and is in the Massachusetts Constitution. Um, Commonwealth of Massachusetts, sorry, I always get that confused coming from New York. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there are, there are public elements to Harvard too, uh, a lot of the land, uh, it gets federal funding, but it's a private university. University of North Carolina, on the other hand, is a public university and they're being sued as well. I have a prediction. Um, we know yesterday, from yesterday, uh, in the Supreme Court, what Justice Jackson, the new justice, will do. She'll clearly vote in favor of race-based affirmative action. She has made it clear that the 14th Amendment allows racial uh, preferences. It's not a colorblind. But there are probably five justices, maybe six, who might finally put an end to the increasing racialization of America, uh, where, where everything seems to be turning on race. We talked about how at, um, at um, uh, University of California at Berkeley now there are, there are houses or they're off the campus, but there's still houses of, of Berkeley students, of black students who don't, don't allow whites to come in unaccompanied by a black student or without special permission. I mean, it's just exactly reverse uh, discrimination. Or now, as you know from last time I was on the a uh, podcast of uh, nine clubs at Berkeley Law School have said uh, no Zionists or Jew, or no Zionists or dogs allowed. They didn't say dogs, but only because dogs can't express support for Israel. But um, no Zionists allowed. So in other words, a woman who wants to speak um, to the Women's uh, Association of Berkeley about abortion rights has to essentially take a loyalty oath and swear she's not a Zionist, swear she doesn't believe in Israel's right to exist. If it's discovered that this woman wants to talk about Roe versus Wade um, and the decision overruling it, if she's invited to talk and it's discovered that she is a Zionist, she won't be allowed to talk. Um, the rules of the club prohibit them from allowing a Zionist to speak on any subject a pro-Russian guy who believes in bombing the Ukraine can speak. Uh, a pro-Chinese guy who believes in putting Uyghurs in concentration, they can speak. Uh, a pro-Iranian guy who believes in hanging gays and throwing them off roofs, he can speak. But a person who believes in the two-state solution, who believes in Israel returning to the 1967 borders, who believes in the right to return, who believes in reparations... Uh, that person can't speak if they also believe that Israel has the right to exist. So that's all that Zionism means. I'm a proud Zionist. Um, I'm critical of some Israeli policies, just like I'm a proud American patriot. I'm critical of some American uh, policies. But the uh, decision at Berkeley is just, just racist and bigoted and McCarthyite. It's a loyalty oath. It's a loyalty oath. You have to swear you're not somebody who believes that Israel is the right to exist. Now, Berkeley is a state university. Do they have the right to do that? Um, I challenged the dean at Berkeley Law School, who's a good guy and who has condemned this, but believes that the clubs have the right to do it. I've challenged him to a debate on, on the subject. Um, he prefers to have a discussion. That's fine with me. So I'm hoping that maybe there will be a debate and a discussion, and maybe we can show part of it if, if it's uh, available on, on, on the podcast. So that's interesting. But I, I want to continue to talk a little bit about uh, Professor uh, Maitland Jones uh, and what his failure to renew his contract, basically his firing, uh, uh, means um, 
for American education. It's part of a process. Now, of course, the hard left, the radicals, they want to eliminate tests. Uh, they want to eliminate uh, the law school aptitude test. They want to eliminate this, the, ap the regular aptitude test. They want to eliminate everything that is meritocratic. And they want admissions to be based on what? Who you know? Uh, how much money you have? Um, you know, if, if you're not admitting students on the basis of tests and grades, there have to be other criteria. And those other criteria will be invidious. Let me tell you who the big loser is when you eliminate meritocracy and substitute identity politics. The big loser is the black and white person um, uh, who has struggled very hard to overcome uh, economic and uh, other handicaps and um, uh, would like very much to use grades in order to get to the top. Now, look, all philosophy is autobiography, as somebody once said. So let me be very clear. This is autobiographical. Um, I just made it into Yale Law School by the skin of my teeth. I came from Brooklyn College, not an elite school. Most of the students at Yale Law School at the time were from Princeton and Harvard, Yale College and Dartmouth, et cetera. And uh, the admission profile said I would, I was expected to get a C average based on the fact that although I had an A average at Brooklyn College, it was only Brooklyn College. Well, I worked my butt off at Yale Law School and I finished first in the class. I, you know, beat all those guys from Princeton and, and Yale. I was scared of them, but it turned out they were even more scared of me, Jewish kid from the streets of Brooklyn. He must be really smart to get in here. Well, I was really smart and I got in and I worked my head off and I got all A's. Um, now I got one C from a contract teacher and I got so mad. I took her second course just to show that she was wrong and I got an A in that one. Um, but in any event, I worked very, very hard. I didn't go to a lot of movies and didn't drink. I didn't do anything. I didn't carouse. Uh, I worked very, very hard. And that's the only way I could make my way to the top. Notwithstanding that, I was turned down by just about every Wall Street firm I applied to. They took people in the middle of the class who were not Jewish or Catholic or, 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 um, or Asian or, or black or women. They took white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males. Uh, if you were in the middle of the class, that was preferable to being a Jewish kid who was at the top of the class. That ended, um, fortunately, probably five or six years after I graduated in 1962. I'm going back to my 60th reunion at Yale Law School. We're going to see that's going to be an interesting thing. You saw two judges recently said they would no longer take any uh, students from Yale Law School because of Yale Law School's cancel culture and refusal to accept free speech of people who are conservative. Um, I think that goes too far. There are obviously students at Yale Law School who oppose that policy and they shouldn't be punished as a result of other students at, at Yale Law School. But, uh, you know, that's a different issue for a different day. But the fear is that the end of grades, the end of admission criteria, the end of tests. Uh, you know, when I first got to Harvard Law School, we graded um, with numbers, 80 was about the highest grade Brandeis had gotten in 81 or two. So, you know, nobody could achieve that. Um, and if you got a 78, it was fantastic. But, you know, you graded 76, 73, 72. All right. Within a few years that they changed that. Now nah, that's a little too precise. Let's go to A plus B, C. OK, then they changed that. Now it's high honors, pass, fail or something like that. I don't remember the exact criteria, but it's a movement toward abolishing 
uh, grades. And, you know, when you abolish grades, what happens is the people who get to the top are people who suck up to the teachers, um, people who come from fancy families, uh, people who are major contributors, uh, their parents are, to the university or the, the graduate school, or the law school. So, you know, they claim that equity is what they're looking for, that equity is better than equality. It's nonsense. Equity is the opposite of equality. It's a desire to make up for the past. What past? Asian Americans were discriminated against uh, incredibly. 110,000 Japanese Americans were put in detention centers during the Second World War. Uh, Jews were discriminated against. Uh, they were not allowed to come to the United States even during the Holocaust. There were quotas, very, very low quotas, and even those quotas weren't filled because an anti-Semite was in charge of the State Department's uh, immigration policy. So look, every minority group has its claims to, to reparations, but the important point is to look forward, not to look backward. And what I'm afraid of is that we're seeing a significant diminution in academic uh, standards. Now, you won't know that from the political science department. Why? Because in the political science department, all ideas are created equal. If a teacher ever dares to criticize a student, oh my God, uh, you can't criticize me. I have a right to have my opinion. No, but you don't have a right to have your facts. Uh, but so you won't see, it won't be visible, political science department or some of the other departments that are just, I was a political science major. I can't even speak at political science at Brooklyn College, where probably the best known graduate of Brooklyn College is political science department because I'm pro-Israel, so they don't, they don't want me to speak there. So, so these departments, you won't notice it because they're propaganda departments for the most part. Where you'll notice it is in organic chemistry. There's no politics involved in organic the chemistry. There are no opinions involved in organic chemistry. It's just facts and analysis and data and research and science. And when you get courses like that, that's where you'll see a real diminution um, in, in standards. Uh, harder to tell in law school than in medical school. Less important in law school, although obviously you don't want lawyers defending capital cases who aren't aren't qualified. By the way, judges often pick the least qualified people in capital cases because they want their the defendants to be convicted and executed. Um, but you know, nobody wants to see less qualified uh, doctors and less qualified pilots, less qualified engineers, uh, less qualified people who make life and and death decisions. I'm uh, finishing a new book. It's tentatively entitled, uh, Who Shall Live and Who Shall Die? Uh, the Role of the Law in uh, Making Life and Death Decisions like uh, abortion and assisted suicide and gun control and um, capital punishment and other issues of life and death. In law, when you have issues of life and death, you want the most qualified judges, the most qualified lawyer, but we've never, you know, law's never been a meritocracy. Medicine was a meritocracy, not early on. You know, Jewish kids, and Irish kids and Italian kids couldn't get into Harvard and Columbia, particularly Columbia Medical School, because it had a lot of Jewish applicants. That's why you have so many hospitals now with Jewish names, Mount Sinai and, you know, other names like that, because they had to build Jewish hospitals because Jewish kids couldn't get in internships or residencies in Peter Ben Brigham Hospital or Massachusetts General Hospital or Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. So they had to go to uh, 
Mount Sinai or Beth Israel or um, other other Jewish hospitals. That's why Brandeis was established because Jewish kids were not getting into the elite colleges. And even in medical school, Jewish kids were going abroad to study because they couldn't get into American medical schools. Ironically, ironically, in the 1910s and 20s, you know where they were going? They were going to German medical schools because they were more permissive and open to Jews often than uh, American uh, medical schools. What, what irony, how the worm turns. In any event, um, uh, I support full and complete and total meritocracy. And I want to broaden that concept. I want to make sure that meritocracy includes kids with differing talents, not all test taking. Uh, I want meritocracy to look to the future. What kind of a doctor, lawyer, engineer will this person make? But once you make those decisions, what is the highest qualification? Then you would force it across the board and no athletic uh, affirmative action, no heritage affirmative action and no racial affirmative action. I'm hope if the Supreme Court does abolish racial uh, affirmative action, which is really racial quotas, their disguise, but their racial quotas. I hope they'll also say something about uh, other other affirmative action programs for for the privileged, the wealthy, the athletic, etc. So, will we move toward a meritocracy? It will it will take time. Pendulum swing broadly in America, but uh, as Martin Luther King, who was in favor of meritocracy said uh, the arc uh, points uh, ultimately to justice. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it doesn't point anywhere. We have to point it. We have to push it. And so I'm still pushing for uh, meritocracy. We'll continue discussing these subjects, particularly as the Supreme Court gets more deeply into some of these things. Let's turn now to some of the questions that uh, came over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, okay. Berkeley is also introducing racial segregation. There are housing units where white people aren't allowed in common areas. Now, I've said that, and that's right. And and Berkeley, uh, you know, the, the school has to be tougher on this issue. And, you know, racial segregation, uh, religious segregation, is just not consistent with what a university should be like. Uh, then somebody says, Berkeley is not a school I would hire anyone from. We need workers, not complainers. No, that's wrong. Uh, there are going to be good students from Berkeley who disagree with these policies. You hire students not on the basis of what the majority, it's often the minority, want, but on the basis of their own individual uh, character. Again, Martin Luther King, you don't want to be judged by the color of your skin or by the university you attended, but about the quality of your character. So, And that applies across the board. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders uh, who do you prefer? Um, how about none of the above? Uh, I could never vote for Bernie Sanders uh, under any circumstances. I, I don't care who he was running against. I couldn't vote for Bernie Sanders. Could I ever vote for Donald Trump? Uh, be very hard for me to to do that because of his views on the uh, election and uh, others of his views, which are which are very, um, to my mind, disqualifying. So. I hope we don't get to that. I don't think Bernie Sanders will be the nominee of the Democratic Party, but if he is, this is not one vote. He can he can count on, even though I'm I've never voted against a Democratic presidential candidate, I would vote against Bernie Sanders. Uh, we gratefully respect and thank the Lord for you. Well, that's nice. Thank you for your intelligence and ethical approach in defending and upholding the Constitution of the United States. That's that's nice. Uh, I appreciate that. Occasionally you get those kinds of things. 
But Mr. Dershowitz, aren't right wingers the bigots? What the, there are bigots on the right and bigots on the left. The bigots on the left today are more dangerous than the bigots on the right. Why? The bigots on the right are yesterday's news. Uh, when they do things, they're prosecuted. Nobody supports them. Very few people support them. The bigots on the left are becoming more and more mainstream. And the Democratic Party um, is not strongly enough opposed to them. So I think they are a future if, unless we stop it. And we have to we have to stop it. Um, okay, one or two more. Um, <laughs> Professor Dershowitz, when you were done practicing law, what other lawyers are there out there today who will have the courage to defend clients based only on the Constitution? Which ones will have the dedication to go against these zeitgeist and act only on principle, irrespective of the social consequences? Well. I'm afraid, you know, the way in which the the left has treated me will make it much harder for uh, young lawyers to say, um, we want to do that. Uh, you know, the phrase has now become common. I don't want to be Dershowitz. I don't want to have happened to me and my family what has happened to Alan Dershowitz, being banned by libraries, being banned by synagogues, being banned by uh, speaking venues, uh, just because of basically who I who I defended. Um, and uh, so it's going to be harder. Um, it's going to be harder. We're going to have fewer um, John Adamses and Thurgood Marshalls and Clarence Darrows and Ed Bennett Williams and, and Alan Dershowitzes in the future. And that's largely the fault of the hard left. Um, okay. We'll keep sending letters um, and um, uh, keep, keep thinking critical thoughts and, and keep, questioning everything and um, keep watching my show, their show. Thanks. See you tomorrow.